Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Well, I've been so looking forward to this morning. You look so amazing, by the way. I just want to say you've never looked better. And uh, it's so good to finally see faces and smiles. Uh, it's, it's been wonderful to see your eyes, but it's wonderful to see your faces. It's so good. So good to be here. So good to have you online and in the chapel. And before I dive into the message today, I, I always want to thank a group of people, our choir and orchestra, who've been serving so faithfully here in the chapel service for the past several years and beforehand. Just amazing. Can we thank them? Just to show our appreciation that way. It's awesome. And we realize we're in very interesting times still coming out of this pandemic and uh, trying to figure out things along the way. But I just want to thank the, the choir and the orchestra. Look forward to how in the future uh, perhaps you can serve in the music ministry here and other facets of the ministry here. We just look forward to that. Uh, but I want to thank you. Uh, you have blessed so many have blessed so many. So thank you. And we also want to let you know that in the lobby, for those who served in the choir and orchestra in the years past, we have a hymn book. And so I encourage you to pick that up afterwards and avail yourself of that opportunity as well. But thanks so much. And for all of us here, you know what? We're in this time and people are trying to figure out summer and the transition of everything. So perhaps for you to be part of a small group is kind of difficult right now. Well, we have a drop-in group. I want to encourage you to check that out. And uh, you can take a picture of that and uh, perhaps find out more in terms of how you can dive in and be part of a group here and there. Um, when it works for you and your schedule during the week, encourage you to find out more. Well, today we're talking about rest, finding rest. I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, that can be difficult. It can be different, right? It can be challenging. For example, for me, I was looking forward to this weekend. I saw the weather, beautiful weekend. Thought this is gonna be a rest-filled weekend. We had some plans in mind. And then, you know, comes that phone call at 2 a.m. on, you know, I guess Saturday morning. Uh, my mom was taken into the hospital. And uh, so she's still there. They're taking good care of her. Hopefully she'll be out tomorrow. But that turned to, uh, you know, to us visiting, of course, the hospital and then coming home uh, later on Saturday morning uh, only to find that our fairly new water heater decided it's no longer working and water everywhere all over our basement floor. And uh, that turned into just a whole day of I called uh, this person that I know and thankfully they dropped everything, came over. And I spent last night just vacuuming up all the water out of our carpeting in the basement floor. And I'll tell you what, even buying the water heater was quite a thing because when we were checking out, the system shut down so they couldn't even sell it to me. And um, I mean, just one frustration after another, and uh, you know, 20 minutes later, I'm leaving the store, but like, wow, and, and here I am talking about rest, right? And I think uh, God has a sense of humor and all of that, but it's so good. And as I thought about this morning, and as I thought about our topic today, I couldn't help but think of my dad. In fact, when I first arrived here like seven, seven and a half years ago, whatever, I, I talked about my dad, and I've talked about him before. Uh, he, he was pivotal, of course, in my life. But when I was 10 years old, he was disabled. 
So he, he never worked again. And for my dad, if you think about that, I mean, for anyone, I mean, you have skills you, you want to add to life and value. He really couldn't do anything. And that's incredibly difficult, not only to live in pain, but not be able to do much, you know, with your life. That's a lot to process. And so for my dad, even though he couldn't do a lot, uh, he didn't want to look like somebody who was completely disabled. So he, you know, he spent a good deal of time on looking good, you know, when he dressed and he, he just wanted to, to do that anyway. That was important to him. And I appreciate that. But for our family, I'll tell you what, it was constant visits to the hospital. I mean, we just thought, why don't we just sell our house and buy a room in the hospital because we're just there a lot, right? And then I remember being in college and I remember going on this, this tour. We're touring all over Michigan, singing at different spots. And then I got that phone call, the phone call that said, if I don't get to this hospital in Grand Rapids, Michigan really quickly, I may never see my father again. They're gonna try to you know, put him through this surgery. He's very weak, not sure how that's all gonna go. And somebody was nice enough to drive me some three and a half hours to the hospital. I saw my dad for just a moment before they wheeled him in, and then we waited. Waited and awaited for hours. The doctor finally came out and said, well, he made it through, but he's incredibly weak. It's gonna be a while before you'll be able to see him. And finally, they let us into that room, you know, where he's on that kind of bed, and we gathered around. His eyes were still closed. And so we just waited. My mom said, well, his eyes are starting to open as we got in a little bit closer. And then she says, well, he's trying to say something. So we got in even closer. And it was really a struggle for him to speak at all. And so he's breathing really heavily. And we're listening. And he said to us, how is my hair? Not am I going to live, you know, I mean, what's, what's my future looking like, you know, I mean, how is my hair? That's the first thing on his mind out of such a serious situation, how he looked. And as I thought about that, though, I think about us. Many people, many Christians live their life that way. They're concerned with their hair. They're concerned with how they look to others. They just are. And so while internally they really want this authentic relationship with God, they do. They know they're not there yet. And so what do they do? They try to appear to others as if they are. We see this whether we realize it all the time. In fact, one of my good friends recently wrote me and they said, you know, my greatest desire is to be known. My greatest fear is to be known. And in between all of that, there can be a lot of internal conflict going on. There really can. In fact, my friend went on to write, I've always been desperate to be accepted, yet so afraid that I won't be that I've often tried to do whatever I could to guarantee that people would accept me. That has certainly included putting on masks of various kinds. Now, they're not talking about the mask that we're no longer wearing right here in this room, right? The mask that other people kind of said, you need to wear this. We're talking about masks that we choose to put on ourselves because we want to conceal what's really going on in here and we want to conceal who we really are when we are with others. And the result of all this mask wearing is there's not a whole lot of rest. And if we're really going to be honest about it, if we're going to boil it all down to what we're really talking about here, 
we'd have to call it hypocrisy. Now, some people, they get a little defensive of that word, don't they? I mean, they want to be a hypocrite. They don't like that word. There's other words they'd rather use, but I'd like to encourage you in this, that the word hypocrite wasn't always a derogatory term. In fact, back in the first century when Paul was living, it was very popular back then for Gentiles to travel miles and miles to go to a place called Caesarea by the Sea. I've been there. And then people would walk into this huge Colosseum, and then once all the 3,500 seats were filled up, various actors would then take the stage armed with various masks that they would wear, sometimes a coordinating outfit that would go with the mask. And they would put on one mask after another, depending upon the character they were playing at any particular moment. So an actor was considered a hypocrite, a person with many faces. That theme has kind of carried on throughout society to our day to day. And this idea of mask wearing has then been applied to many more people who aren't really professional actors. They don't get paid for it anyway. But yet this maybe is their occupation. People have written about this. One person kind of defensively said, you know what, I was not a hypocrite with one real face and several false ones. I had several faces because I was young and didn't know who I was or wanted to be. So it was okay because of my situation. Other people, they fail to see the hypocrisy in themselves but find it easy to see in others. George Orwell said it this way, he wears a mask and his face grows to fit it. Still others? They think they see through someone's charade. It's not them, of course. And so they try to bring it to a halt. Your hypocrisy insults my intelligence. I can see through all the masks that you're wearing. And yet others maybe are a bit more honest about themselves. One songwriter put it to music this way. Line number one, you're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them never better. Lie number two, everybody's life is perfect except yours. So keep your messes and your wounds and your secrets safe with you behind closed doors. Truth be told, the truth is rarely told. So I say I'm fine, yeah I'm fine, oh I'm fine, hey I'm fine, but I'm not. I'm broken. And when it's out of control, I say it's under control, but it's not. And you know it. I don't know why it's so hard to admit it. When being honest is the only way to fix it. There's no failure, there's no fall, there's no sin you don't already know. So let the truth be told. The truth? There are a lot of people, a lot of Christians who live their lives saying, I'm fine. But wearing one mask after another. And like I said, an actor would wear more than just a mask, sometimes various outfits. They would put on one over the other. You see, over their wounds and fears, what, means, what that means for us is that we put on various layers as we kind of dress to impress. And I'll tell you what, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And in light of all this, Jesus said it this way, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And how will you find that rest? Well, take my yoke upon you. You see, every rabbi had a yoke, which meant every rabbi had a teaching. So Jesus was saying, if you embrace what I'm teaching you, you will find rest. And so when it comes to what Jesus taught us, I think we gotta look at the greatest sermon that he ever delivered, the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters five through seven. 
Now, sandwiched between chapters 5 and 7 of this greatest sermon is also found the greatest prayer, the Lord's Prayer. We find it in Matthew chapter 6. What's interesting is before Jesus talks about how we can have this authentic kind of conversation with God, he talks about the various masks that we tend to put on that impede that relationship. And they they fill our lives with things that don't really help us, things like stress, tension, and hypocrisy. As we start it out this way, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, for me, I look at that word practice. And I remember as a little kid, you know, going to piano lessons, I remember, you know, coming home and my mom would say, Phil, practice makes perfect. It didn't really inspire me, but that's what she said, right? And what Jesus was saying, he said, you know what, this kind of practice, it doesn't make you perfect. But it does try to help others think that you are. And the result of that is no rest. See, Jesus said this because he knows our tendencies. He knows that for many of us, it's not enough just to do a righteous act. No, we want others to see our righteousness in all of its glory and splendor. Because after all, if no one notices what we're doing, what's the point? And so we put on a base layer known as self-righteousness. A base layer. To counter this, Jesus was saying this, we should never do good so that others think we're good. <laughs> Back in Michigan, I, I was uh, just a, a new pastor at this church, and I, I had uh, you know, this person come up to me and say, you know, could you help in starting a movement that uh, would create unity? I mean, there's so much division in our, in, our, in our city, the city of Lansing, not only between people of different colors, but between people of the same color. There's just so much division. I said, well, you know what, why don't you bring me some, I don't know anyone really, so can you bring some pastors, I'll meet. And so we started out with just six pastors. That turned into, you know, an invitation that I sent out, and so we had like maybe 50 pastors all eating lunch together, and it was there that I saw the division, because while I was just welcoming people to this lunch, there was like a verbal fight that broke out between pastors of the same color in front of everybody, It was tense. Within two months after that, I mean, who would have ever guessed it, but all these churches now in Lansing, we served the city together along with, you know, the fire department, the police department, the, you know, the various athletic departments of MSU, Michigan State University. We're all serving the city together. I mean, this just happened like overnight and it turned into this movement that suddenly I'm in charge of. And I started realizing though, that as I was speaking, I was doing good, but I also wanted people to think that I was good. So to combat that, I started asking other people to lead, other people to speak. I would just start taking the back seat because I didn't want to fall prey to that because the truth is, if we embrace a righteous act in order to wrongly impress others, God will rightly be unimpressed. And Jesus said we should expect nothing from him. And Jesus tells us that that this concept applies not only to this, but also to how we give. How do you give? Jesus says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. 
I don't know about you, but I've been to New York City a couple times, and that place amazes me. I don't think I could live there, but it's kind of an amazing place to visit. And uh, in the subway, sometimes on the streets, there are these street performers. And they get your attention. I mean, you cannot ignore them. I mean, they're really good at it. They get a crowd, and then they put on a show, and then they expect a really good tip. Jesus is comparing many of us, our tendencies anyway, to people who do that. Open attention grabbing, trying to put on a show to announce before others what they're doing, right? Announcing it with trumpets. Now, I know a lot of Christians, and I've never met a Christian who says, you know what, this is what I do. When I do something good, I give to somebody. Well, then I really, I I gather a group around me, and then I, I announce it really loudly so they'll all kind of clap and tell me how good I am for doing it. So a lot of people say, that doesn't really apply to me. I would just ask you sound your trumpet differently. I was with a really good friend a couple months ago. We had breakfast together. And um, you know what? After breakfast, we're walking out of the restaurant. And then he stopped me. He said, you know what? I just got to, I got to tell you something. You know, I mean, a couple months ago, I was here. I was having breakfast at the same restaurant. And I noticed this mom with her kids and she was checking out. She's paying her bill. And I thought, you know what? I could do that for her. And so I gave her a $50 bill, which was much more than she needed to pay for the breakfast, but I just let her keep the extra, you know, so she could kind of do whatever she wanted to with that. And, you know, she was surprised. She was really thankful that I did that, and I felt really good for doing that. I just wanted to share that with you. Interesting. Sometimes we don't see it. We don't realize that on top of our base layer of self-righteousness, we can tend to put on another layer called self-promotion. Self-promotion. Another mask. Jesus was saying, we should never serve others if our pride is the greatest thing served. Hmm. Causes us to look a little bit deeper. And Jesus tells us that as Christians, when we do that, uh, they have received their reward. Basically, The only reward you're going to get is the reward to receive from others that you tell for the good things that you've done. You're not going to get anything else. Not from God. Rather, Jesus says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So basically think about it this way. When you give to another, you're supposed to act like you have a memory problem. Right? I mean, you give, and then you can't even remember what you just did, which means you don't remember it because remembering takes effort. But then what takes even more effort than is telling others about the thing that you remembered. So just have a memory problem you can't remember. You might have a really good memory when it comes to what God has done for you in your life, and you give God thanks and credit for that. But when it comes to your giving, boy, I just seem to have a memory problem. Jesus basically calls us to serve and move on, and move on. You see, God knows the true motivation for our hearts, and he rewards us accordingly. And this holds true to what you do, how you serve, but also, he says, when you pray. Now, I want you to notice, he didn't say, if you pray. He said, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, as part of this movement that I helped start back in Lansing, I got this call one day 
And I was asked, you know, if I would do the closing prayer at this event that was being held downtown. I thought it was like 50 people. I really didn't know. But it was for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And so I said, well, sure. You know, they gave me the directions to show up. I, I really didn't know it was that significant. I walked in. There was a few thousand people sitting all around tables. And the next thing I noticed was, you know, that I was like one of two white people in the room. And I was to do the closing prayer for this event. It was then that I also learned that the keynote speaker was Juanita Jones Abernathy, the wife of Ralph David Abernathy, the civil rights leader who, who marched right alongside Dr. King. She was delivering the speech. And so now the event began. And this pastor got up front to give the opening prayer. And I'll tell you what, that place was electric. I mean, the place is applauding in various parts of his prayer. People are standing up. I mean, they're crying out this. I mean, they're just supporting him. This is like a, a movement in and of itself. And, and, and as he's praying, I'm reminded, of course, that I have to, like, pray at the end. And it reminded me of a movie that I remember watching some years before called White Men Can't Jump. And I thought, you know what, there probably should be a follow-up film that says White Men Can't Pray. Because at that moment, I felt like, holy smokes, right? So he gets done praying, and I thought, we could just go home? Like, really, seriously, what more do we need to hear after that, right? And so he finished his prayer, and then the, you know, the meal served. Juanita got up. She gave her speech. And again, the place was just electric. It was unbelievable. And then she gets done. And now it's time for me to walk that long journey up to that front podium in order to deliver my prayer. And as I walked, I thought, Phil, like, this is the culmination of this whole event. Like, this prayer has not just got to be good. This prayer has got to be great, right? Like, this has to be really something. And so I, I walked up front, and I asked everybody to close their eyes, and I started into my prayer. And I'll tell you, I've never prayed that loudly before. I've never prayed using that many words before. And I thought in the middle of my prayer, I really thought like the clouds were going to part and Jesus is going to come back because it was like quite a prayer, you know? And I got done and I says, in Jesus' name, amen. But instead of people like standing and applauding, it was like. And I couldn't really understand why. You see, I... I had dressed so strategically, right? I, had, I wore my base layer of self-righteousness, followed by my next layer of self-promotion, followed by my next layer of what really called hypocrisy. I'd work really hard to pray that prayer. And to counter such a wardrobe, Jesus said, we should never pray before others in order to impress others. See, either our prayers glorify God or they glorify ourselves. And as Jesus said, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. I was. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, I should have heeded the words found in Matthew chapter 6, but I wasn't thinking about Matthew chapter 6 in that moment. Because just after he tells people, his followers, how not to pray, Jesus says, well, this is how you should pray. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, some people have misunderstood what Jesus was saying here. He, he's not saying this, that if you desire to pray with a pure heart, 
well, wait until you get home and pray there by yourself. That's not what he's saying. Rather, he's saying, if you desire to pray with an impure, hypocritical, self-glorification heart, well, do everyone in your life a favor and wait until you get home because then you're gonna avoid any kind of temptation to place a spotlight on yourself. And he says, if you do this, well, then the Father will reward you. And then, of course, knowing that this still might not be enough to convince, you know, a hypocritical Christian to, you know, turn the spotlight away from themselves, Jesus went on to say this. He said, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He's basically saying, you know, when you come before God in prayer, be honest. Be authentic. In fact, you might even start your prayer by saying, you know what, Father? I'm not fine. I'm not fine. Jesus, I need you. Rather than use many words, honestly, just get to the point. One man wrote it this way, if we understand that our Father knows our needs before we ask him, we won't feel compelled to try to impress God with our prayers and elicit a certain response through some sort of feigned earnestness. Instead, by faith, we will see a sovereign God who is ready and able to answer our prayers and who directs all things for our good and his glory. So it's from this foundation that of our relationship with God that we seek God, we give thanks to God, we make requests to God. And that's why Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. And here we gotta pause. We gotta ask, who is the you that Jesus was referring to? Because in the Greek here, he's, it's actually like plural in nature. So this is not a lesson intended just for me or a lesson for you or you or you. This is a lesson for all of us. All believers who are fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ and therefore sons and daughters of the Most High God. It doesn't matter your past, your age, the color of your skin, or your socioeconomic status. Jesus is telling us that when it comes to prayer, we are to pray like we are in the context of a family. It's why the prayer that we know so well starts out this way. Our Father in heaven. See, when we serve in the context of a family, when we live in the context of a family, when we give in the context of a family, when we pray in the context of a family, there's little room for hypocrisy to enter in because true loving family members, they know us. And they can kind of smell our prideful tendencies before they can almost even show up. They kind of help us to stop trying to dress to impress. See, it's with this sense of family in mind the Bible tells us, let us Family, then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we, fellow family members, may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, I find no rest when I dress to impress. So I will dress in humility along with my family. Think about that. And that's why instead of dressing in the layers and all the masks that we try to put on, instead of doing all that, the Apostle Paul says we are to dress in layers, but we're to dress differently. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I find no rest when I dress to impress, so I will dress in humility along with my family. Pray with me, dear Jesus. We thank you for your yoke. We thank you for your teaching. You taught us well. Help us to hear you. Help us to respond to you. Help us, Lord, to seek your humility. The humility that you demonstrated by leaving it all so much in order to show us your compassion, your kindness, your faithfulness, your patience, your humility. It's because of you, Jesus, that we are family. It's because of what you've done for us on the cross that we can become family members. So Lord, we thank you. And we know that uh, we try to do this life on our own we fail because it's only in you alone that we can find life and healing forgiveness and family thank you Lord thanks for listening you can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.